0: Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com.
1: You know, if I meet a a Muslim who is inclined towards violence, I want to get them as far away from Mohammed as possible. He is not a good historical example. If I meet a Christian who is inclined towards violence and, and mistreating their neighbor, I want to get them as close to Jesus as possible. So the movement of travel is the opposite direction towards Jesus and away from Mohammed.
0: Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off, Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a Paradox.
2: Welcome, everybody, to Paradox. I'm Jimmy Myers. And I am Josh. And thank you for joining us for uh, this, uh, our, our last podcast of our opening week. And we sort of saved um, the, the best for last. He's our closer uh, in baseball terms. Okay. Uh, but, you know, being from Canada, does he even reference baseball terms? I don't know. Do I have <laughs> they to use have hockey the Blue terms?
3: Jays. Good okay, Lord. That's true.
2: But we are so pleased to welcome Dr. Andy Bannister. He is married with two kids. He is the director and lead apologist uh, for Ravi Zacharias, ministry in Canada. He is a speaker. He's got a Ph.D. in Islamic Studies. He's an adjunct professor and research fellow at the Center of Study of Islam and Other Faiths at Melbourne School of Theology. His latest book, "The Atheist Who Didn't Exist." Uh, Andy, welcome to Paradox. Welcome.
1: Hey guys, uh, great to uh, great to be with you. And um, and yes, we do have baseball in, in Canada. So. Oh okay,
3: <laughs> all right. Uh, baseball is not really my thing. Jimmy <laughs> is the typical offensive
2: American. Yes. So don't bur- don't bother with him.
3: That's okay, but see.
1: I'm an offensive Brit, so there we go.
2: <laughs> well, I was about to say, you know, you don't need any of these degrees. You have an English accent, which, gi- which gives you all the credibility in the world.
1: It opens an incredible amount of doors, although sometimes once they're open, people push you through them hard. So there we are. <laughs> there can,
3: you- can you tell us a little bit about your ministry there at RZIM.
1: Yeah, so uh, many uh, of your listeners are probably familiar with RZ, RZIM and Ravi. Well, Ravi founded um, uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries here in Canada back in the 1980s. We We're actually a Canadian ministry originally before he relocated down to the U.S. to take things international. But, but we've always had a Canada office. And so I was brought over six years ago from the U.K. to really try and take things to a new level here. So like, uh, like RZ, RZIM does around the world, we're primarily an evangelistic ministry evangelism undergirded by apologetics and particularly uh, focused on the influences in society so we do a lot of work in education on university campuses in politics and and media and uh, business and the arts trying to help uh, really trying to help the thinker believe, engaging with uh, the thinking skeptic and people's honest questions, and at the same time, helping Christians think, helping the believer think, and helping uh, Christians think through how do we engage uh, with the questions that our culture is asking. And in all of that, be doing that so we can present Jesus Christ in all of his beauty and all of his wonder uh, with clarity and conviction.
3: In your latest book, I love the title, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so basically I began to get frustrated um, a few years ago with this kind of new wave of atheism we were seeing everywhere represented by the so-called new atheists, people like Richard Dawkins uh, from Oxford or on this side of the Atlantic, people like Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett and others. And even if you're not familiar with those names, you'll be familiar with their arguments because they're everywhere. They've gone viral, they've been popularized. And what I began to realize was although these uh, this atheism is very aggressive, very in your face, Um, many of the arguments used to advance it are are terrible arguments, really bad, not just because they don't don't work, because so often they, they rebound on atheism and actually undercut atheism itself. Um, But I found that a lot of Christians who'd written good books responding uh, to this uh, kind of new wave of atheism, these books weren't getting traction. And what I wanted to do was write a book that you could actually give to an atheist friend, and there might actually be a chance they would read it, uh, rather than it just uh, stay on the shelves of Christians. And so that led to me writing The Atheist Didn't Exist, which I think is Possibly the first uh, comic apologetics book. So it combines comedy <laughs> and humor and apologetics. I figure if you can make people laugh and yes. make people smile, you won them onto your side immediately. Yep. And while they're laughing, you can slip truth in. Jesus does this in the Gospels quite frequently. And so I've tried to do that in The Atheist. who didn't exist. And the stories I'm hearing is that that's sort of happening. People are managing to uh, find their atheist friends are actually enjoying reading it. They might not agree with everything, but they're enjoying reading it.
2: Have you found that apologetics um is it more for uh, is it more useful in evangelism or or cementing the faith of a believer
1: that's a that's a great question and i think what i'd say immediately is i think it definitely belongs in one of those i think apologetics for its own end is disastrous it's dry it's boring it's academic and it gives the discipline a bad name and i think that's sometimes fine find both christians and non-christians are suspicious of it because they've run across somebody you know who's a christian very well-meaning but overly philosophical and hadn't connected it to either of those two things i think apologetics either has to be plugged into either discipleship and strengthening the christian or evangelism and ideally both because evangelism and discipleship go together I think if you are growing as a Christian you should be sharing your faith and if you're not sharing your faith potentially you're stagnating and so I think we need to put evangelism and discipleship firmly together and apologetics uh, as a resource to both of them
2: I don't think that people understand what a solid footing faith has in, in intellectual circles in academia um, you know when we do have these debates uh, these academically moderated and judged debates we do fabulously uh I in one of my doctoral seminars was taught by Gary Habermas and I'm not sure you're familiar with him I know uh, Gary and I'm he was talking about all these debates because he's 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 debated uh anthony flew and and um, Dawkins and just a gazillion people over the years and uh he was telling us how he had won these debates, the, the, the technical points of his debating. And during a break, I went up and I said, well, you, you know, Dr. Habermash you shared all the ways in which you won these debates. Well, in those debates that you lost, what, what did they use? What points did they score? And he looked at me and he said, in 30 years, I never lost. And it just blew me backwards. I mean, and here I was, you know, I've been in ministry forever. I didn't know that. And I think most people just accept the notion that believers are on the intellectual low ground in this argument.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think you're absolutely right. I think I've seen it uh, both firsthand in my own life. And when I first began trying to engage, in my case, it was Muslims in the, on the streets of London, uh, England, finding them asking me questions I couldn't answer. That was pretty faith-shaking, and it was incredibly uh, empowering to go out there, begin reading and digging into the subject and finding, hey, there are, there are great Christian materials here by brilliant thinkers who can answer these questions, not merely answer these questions, who can then push the questions back on Islam and do so very successfully. Um, but then also, I've also had the privilege through RZIM of being used by the Lord on opportunities when I've gone onto university campuses and dialogued or, or debated. Uh, with muslims or with skeptics and whether it's been a win a draw or or a loss we have to be humble and go christians just because you're a christian doesn't guarantee you're going to win the debate exactly. and just because you lose the debate doesn't mean the gospel's failed it just means you're yep. up against strong yes. um i've had numerous occasions where christians have come out to me afterwards and gone, that was incredibly empowering to realize that the christian worldview can be placed out there in the marketplace yeah. of and it can stand up and even that you hold their head high because to go, even if even if they can't do what they've just seen Gary do or Bill Craig do or Ravi do or me do or whatever, to go just to know there are people who are doing it. That said, I think the most inc- the most impos- most uh, important thing about apologetics for, for listeners to understand is you don't have to be a PhD. I'm always conscious when people like ours, the three of us have a conversation and people see doctor, 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 they go, oh gosh, I'm not a doctor, what can I do? The answer is you can do an incredible amount. Because apologetics, the beauty of apologetics, is you can use it at a simple level in your everyday conversations, you know, with the barista at Starbucks or the coffee shop of your choice, or you can use it if you're an academic moving in some of the circles that we do. Apologetics is merely about giving a good reason why you believe the things that you do. When somebody says to you, why are you a Christian? It's being able to say, well, let me tell you why and do so in a way that's uh, engaging for them and uh, fits with who you are. And apologetics is for everybody, not just academics, but it works well.
2: Now, again, this is going to be airing uh, in our first week of of broadcast in July, so it's going to be, you know, a month or so. But just this week, of course, we had um, the massacre in Orlando uh, from sort of a lone wolf uh, terrorist who proclaimed allegiance with ISIS. Every time one of these things happens, half the pundits on television go berserk about, you know, Islam. And the other half insists that it's a religion of peace. Um, When when non-Muslims see this happening, sometimes it's hard to accept that Islam is a religion of peace. What do you say to to that point? Is it or is it not a religion of peace?
1: Challenge with that with that question is is that so often as human beings and as Christians we like we often like very simple answers to, to complex subjects, and the difficulty is that if uh, if one goes ahead and simply says you know Islam is not a religion of peace you face the problem that uh, to go well hang on a minute what about my lovely Pakistani next door neighbour I've known him for thirty years I, I don't building a dirty nuclear bomb in his garden shed and how do i explain him on the other hand if you say of course islam's a religion of peace then we're faced with well, how do we explain the likes of uh, you know what's just happened in, in orlando and so we have this really curious problem how do we how do we explain what's going on islam seems to be both and and i think here's Here's the issue. I think in terms of can Muslims be peaceful, moderate, friendly uh, people and friends and neighbors and colleagues? Absolutely. And thankfully, the majority are. And there are millions upon millions upon millions of them. And the chances are that the Muslim that you know, if you're listening to this, falls into that category. Um, uh, The problem you have, though, is Islam itself. Um, Is Islam, i.e. the religion, moderate? Well, while there are moderate forms of Islam, the the mainstream uh, orthodox form of, of Islam uh, that's, that's represented the mainstream position in Islamic theology for more or less 1400 years, I would say is not. And the, the elephant in the room really is Muhammad. When you look at Muhammad, the founder of Islam, uh, you know he fought battles, uh, he engaged in conflict, he was a violent man. Now, I'm not picking on him, he was no better, no worse than the other tribal warlords, warlords of the seventh century, but he was a militaristic battle leader, very charismatic leader of men. He fought in uh, over 20 battles. And the problem is, that's not a great role model for today. When you look at some of the things that he said about engaging with those who are your enemies, that's the kind of material that the likes of ISIS and other extreme Muslim groups are tapping into. Most moderate Muslims are either not aware of that material or sort of are acutely embarrassed uh, and try to ignore it. The problem is that, say, Islam itself has this, this problem with Muhammad. And I think the difference between Muhammad and Jesus, which is what I think we want to be talking about as Christians, I always want to say as Christians, I don't want to really talk about is Islam or Christianity superior? Let's talk about who is the person who we want to you know, devote our lives and follow. Would you want to follow Muhammad or would you want to follow Jesus? You know, if I meet a a Muslim who is inclined towards violence, I want to get them as far away from Muhammad as possible. He is not a good historical example. If I meet a Christian who is inclined towards violence and, and mistreating their neighbor, I want to get them as close to Jesus as possible. So the movement of travel is the opposite direction towards Jesus and away from Muhammad. And of course, Jesus never shed a drop of anyone's blood. He was one to whom violence was done. He laid down his lives for his enemies and actually... That's worth reflecting on as Christians, because challenging as it is, even if there are Muslims who are our enemies, and I think they would be a tiny minority, but even if they are, Jesus tells us what to do with our enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And the greatest uh, greatest answer to radical uh, Islam is radical Christianity and really demonstrating what the gospel means uh, and when there's a cost involved. And I have a lot of respect for for my Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East who are paying for gospel Christianity with their blood on a daily basis, and I think we need to remember that.
3: Such an insightful answer. Um, It sounds like you've done this before, but all I really heard is that you thought that was a stupid question from Jimmy. So...
1: There's no, there genuinely is, on I. <laughs> okay, I'm going to redeem
2: know. myself with this but one.
3: You you sound like an apologist when you you uh, challenge the question that's asked. I love it.
2: Well, so someone, and I, and again, I'm sure people have come up to you and said, "Well, why don't you read through the Old Testament? Your God says to kill every man, woman, child, dog, cat, gerbil." Uh, so your holy book says just what uh, the Quran says.
1: You know, and that's a that's a question we hear with the increasing force. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, what's re- what happened recently. At the time we record this with with Orlando, you know, it's interesting to see how many commentators online and political pundits and journalists and such like are trying to lump all religion into the same basket. That's being used. What's happened in Orlando has been used to clobber all religious people round the head mm-hmm. and Christians as well as. As Muslims, and to go, we have to as Christians be aware of oh, there are some difficult texts in the Old Testament. And so the first thing I'd say, if some of those Old Testament texts don't give us cause to think and go, we've got to think hard about this. Then we're not reading them uh, right. Too often we can, we you know, we can read our own texts very sympathetically, and we can read something like the Quran in a very hostile way. I think I want to be honest and go, okay, we've got some complex and difficult and potentially troubling passages in the Old Testament. What do we do about them? Well, the first thing is, I'd want to say, let's remember where we are living as Christians. We are not living in uh, 1400 BC as a Bedouin, a Bedouin nomadic tribe in the old, in a wandering around uh, the Sinai Peninsula. We are not living under that, that stipulation. So, no Not Christian- that it
2: doesn't sound really exciting.
1: But the first thing with scripture is always ask ourselves what is the what's the historical context where does it apply? Mm-hmm. So because I think people are sometimes using that to go oh well Christians could equally go and you know uh, shoot up people in in gay bars and you have justification? No you wouldn't because whatever I do with the Old Testament I have to read it through the lens of Christ and we live in a new covenant not the old covenant. So that's the the first thing to deal with now. What do we do with those texts in their context? Well, we have to remember that in the Old Testament, those passages are very explicitly linked to judgment. Uh, God promises. land of Canaan to Abraham, but then we remember in in the book of Genesis, God says to Abraham, you and your descendants are going to go into slavery in Egypt for 400 or so years because the sin of the Hittites, the Amalekites, and the Canaanites, and the the Parasites, and the otherites, hasn't run full course yet. In other words, when you come in and drive them from the land, and that's incidentally what they were commanded to do, drive the Canaanites from the land, not not kill everybody in most of those situations, it was to drive them off, was explicitly linked to sin and judgment. And it was also geographically linked. The Israelites were never told, go and grab as much land as you can. In fact, keep going, you know, if you can get all the way along North Africa and up into Spain, it's fantastic. Have you seen the Casa del Sol and those beaches? The The Israelites are specifically told this land and this land only because you're being used as, as judgment for these people. And then God goes on and tells them something very important in the book of Deuteronomy. Don't start thinking that the reason you have this land is because you are holy or better or nicer or more moral than these people you've driven out, because that's the way you will start sliding into the into the behaviors oh, that they nice. did. And then judgment yeah. will come on you. The Israelites don't listen to that advice. They do fall into precisely the same kind of patterns of behavior, and then God is very consistent. God uses the Assyrians. And the Egyptians uh, and the Babylonians, rather, as judgment on the Israelites. Now, to you or I, as twenty-first century Westerners, the idea of, of of warfare as judgment we struggle with because we live in a very different context. But when we just think about judgment for a minute, God does have the right to judge because He is God, and I am not. And all of us are going to face judgment one day, aren't we? Uh, the Canaanites may have faced it then in history. The Israelites may have faced it then in history. You or right. I, each one of us is going to face it at once. At one point. We will stand before a holy God uh, and a God who we stand before as sinners. And there'll be the question of how will he judge us? We will not avoid the question of judgment too. And the question will be, do we stand in Christ and have him as our advocate and him accept the judgment on our behalf and the forgiveness offered on the cross? Or do we want to stand before God and go, no, bring it on. I'm big enough. Um, to this... To, be a terrifying uh, one.
2: Seriously great stuff. Listen, for these young parents, young moms that may be listening, and they've got young children in the house and they look at the world and they're just petrified, sometimes they this gets overwhelming from the uh, the church and biblical history's point of view, you know, just the, the argument that comes with, you know, the, the bullet points of information that come with apologetics can just be overwhelming to someone. What can a what can a young parent do to say, OK, I need to accept responsibility of making sure my child knows not only what they believe, but why they believe it? Uh, what what suggestion could you have for that young parent?
1: Well, it's interesting you you say that because I'm a I'm, I'm well. I'm in my 40s, but I'm a young parent. I have a three and a half year old daughter and a, and a one year old son. And my three and a half year old daughter is already asking kind of theological questions so uh so my wife loves texting me and going hey this is what she asked you can answer it when you get home <laughs> and um, so i'd say a couple of things uh to this as, as someone who's wrestling this through uh myself number one i think the way you phrased it is brilliant um how do we how do we teach kids to think for themselves um i remember a sort of friend of mine told the story of a, uh, you know once asking his uh, his i think nine-year-old daughter at, at bedtime they just finished the bible story before bed and he turned to his daughter and said "Tony, just out of interest you know you believe the Bible is true? And she went, Yes, Dad. And he said, Well, why do you believe it's true? Because you and Mum do. And he looked at her and he said, Honey, that is a, not a good reason to believe the Bible. It's a good reason to take it seriously that Mum and Dad do, but Mum and Dad can be wrong. You've got to be able to think through why you believe it he said that was a real eye opener for him yeah and i think with kids' lesson number one is thinking how do we help them understand why christianity is true and find those answers for themselves not enough just to trust that they will because we do as parents that's a bad answer um number one secondly i think there are some great resources out there we were actually chatting about this before we we, we recorded so uh, a book i'd highly recommend for, for parents to look at is by a friend of mine her name is natasha crane c-r-a-i-n and she's written a wonderful book called keeping your kids on god's side natasha crane keeping your book your kids on god's side brilliant book that will help you think through as parents how we do this um and then lastly i would say One of the mistakes I think the church often makes, we can make as Christian parents that we make historically, is we, it's not just a case of defending the gospel, we lose track of what the gospel is. And one of the things we've often very successfully done is given our kids and given the culture, the impression that the gospel is about moralism. You know you are a christian if you behave a certain way you know do these things don't do this stuff this is what being a christian is and we can easily do that as christian parents you know don't you know don't look at yes. things you shouldn't on do, the internet. don't take drugs obey your mom and dad that's what being a christian is if our kids grow up thinking being a christian is about keeping a set of commandments they will then drift into thinking god is somebody who i earn his pleasure by keeping his commandments if i don't, if I don't do the right thing i won't that is not christianity That is moralism, and it is a complete travesty of the gospel. And what usually happens is people try it for a while, it breaks them, and they reject it, thinking they've rejected Christianity, or they've rejected the real thing. So we have got to drum it into our kids from the earliest possible age that being a Christian is standing on what Jesus has done for you. Uh, being a christian is not about doing something it's about accepting something accepting who you are in christ and that incredible gift of what christ has done for us on the cross and i think moralism has been a has been a cancer quite frankly Mm -hmm. that has devastated the church and when you look at the look at the the testimony of the many millennials who've walked away from faith and there's a huge problem with that in north america now often when you dig into their stories it's what they're rejecting is not christianity they're rejecting a caricature of it so let's make sure we give our kids the real thing they really understand who it is that they're centered in they're centered in christ not their behavior and as parents we need to be especially conscious of that so that natasha crane and making sure that we help our kids think through why they believe it and they're not just believing it because we do and i think that's yeah. a great start that's huge crane. yeah
3: and his in his parents guys this is important uh, we we harp on this all the time. This this apologetics, teaching your kids how to think for themselves, um, and and why they believe, and not this 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 moralism. Guys, good stuff. If you want more about uh, to learn more about Andy, you can go to rzim rzim.ca. You can also find out more about his book, The Atheist That Didn't Exist, at theatheistthatdidn'texist.com. You can find um, Andy at Twitter or on Twitter at rzimcanada, as well as his personal Twitter account, Andy G. Bannister. Andy, thank you so much.
2: You're going to get so sick of us about the 50th time that we've you asked to you to come on the yeah. show. <laughs> just So just tell us to go away when you get tired of it. <laughs>
1: Well, it's been great talking to you both. Take care. And thank
2: you so much. Take care. I can see some people now their eyes crossing. Just at the thought that oh my gosh, I can this is too much. Don't understand it. How do I? What a But that's that's part of the problem. Like yes.
3: we now, we haven't been taught to think for ourselves. Yes. And when we hear these things, Some of us think it's just gold and it's uh, such great information. And others are like, oh, Lord, I'm so bored. But this is our faith. You know, it's knowing why we believe what we believe
2: and not just this sense of moralism. And people will say, well, I don't need it. I don't need to know how many ancient manuscripts agree with each other and how the Dead Sea Scrolls really, you know, supported the original gospel manuscript. I don't need all that. Uh, I just, what is it? Jesus said it, and I believe it, and that settles it, which is fine. Time and a place for for blind faith, certainly. without question. But that's not going to be good enough for your children, and it's not going to be good enough for your children's friends. So it's fantastic that you don't need this. That's great. But we've got to give our kids an underpinning for why they believe it. Because, again, uh, we're losing this generation of Christian young people. It used to be when I was a youth minister that 70% of the kids that would graduate out of your program and go to college, 70%, these were active kids in the youth group, would not attend church in college. But it was always, but 70% of that, 70% when they get kids, when they'll come back. Now we know that 70% of active kids in evangelical youth groups are leaving never to be seen again. Uh, we are losing them. And if we don't understand that whole adage, if we keep doing the same thing the same way, expecting a different result, uh, we've got to switch up what we're doing with these kids at home and in the church.
3: Guys, ParadoxPodcast.com. If you want more information uh, about the show as well as uh, previous and, and future shows, um, we on Monday are going to drop our first content episode. an um, interview yeah, non-interview. It's on transgenderism, so you just have I'm Jimmy so and sorry. myself it's just us. for 20 minutes. No, bless your heart. Uh, you can find us also on three different platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, the show is Doc's Podcast. My personal uh, platforms is Doc Josh Myers. I use Instagram for personal photos. Twitter and Facebook are, are, are more counseling, psychological, family, parenting oriented.
2: For me, Facebook is Dr. Jimmy Myers, and on Twitter and Instagram, it's J. Myers fam guys I hope you enjoyed Andy Uh, let us know if you want us back on Uh, yeah and uh, when you're asked let us know if you you enjoyed that and maybe some other things that we didn't ask that you would really like to know from someone like that Uh, because you know he's already said he'll come back and do it again so uh, just let us know all right take care guys
0: paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox Evangelist, Julie lyles Carr. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox.
3: They went as far as to say, he said, what if I was a 6'8 Chinese woman that believes she was 7 and wanted to enroll in a first grade classroom? And they, because of their argument... Had to say, I guess you could enroll in a seventh or a first grade classroom.